Welcome to Downton. Hello there. Emma speaking. Welcome to Shall We Go Through, the Downton Abbey fan podcast. What? 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 Hi everyone! I hope you're all doing well. I am really excited to be here with you today because it's Christmas! Well, technically, we're in July, the middle of summer, but we're here to talk about the Christmas special of season two, the first Christmas episode. I love Christmas so much. I love the holiday season, so I'm really, really excited to talk about that today. I told you last episode that this one was a bit jollier. Well, it is, but there's still a lot of angst. But we can say that in the end, all where that almost ends well like truly i think it's great even if you have big angst in the middle of the episode i think i think that as a whole it's very good very good christmasy episode i called it the one we've all been waiting for so without further ado let's just start shall we so like i said it's the holiday season because literally the episode starts with a truck that brings a christmas tree at downtown and then we follow Daisy in the house and we arrive in the hall where you have this giant Christmas tree and you have O'Brien, Edith and Mary that are decorating it. It's just so lovely. And what I love is you have Carson and Robert at the side. Like it feels like they give instructions without doing anything. Anyway, but then they light up the tree and it's so beautiful. I love it. The first minute you're already right into the Christmas period. I love it. And you see that Rosamond is coming and a tiny scene that makes me laugh every time. Have Violet reading a card? Oh my god, just this tiny scene, her reading card. I was like, oh my god, what is that? And this little introduction just ends on a beautiful shot of high clear with the snow and it's just so pretty and the fog, like just, oh, I love it. So it's Christmas, 1919. The servants and the family are all in the hall and actually the family is giving the servants presents, which I think is really sweet. And so when they gave Anna her present, Mary says, the usual cloth for a frock, I'm afraid. And so Julian made a comment and he said that female servants were given material for a new dress, which they were expected to make up themselves. So apparently the men they were given deliveries or their uniforms to work but women they had to make it themselves so usually as a present the family would offer them a cloth for them to make a new dress so it's a gift in a way but in other way like oh so i have to make my own dress but it's quite nice that i still offer them wear the cloth because that must be quite pricey but i think it's not very fair that that women had to make their own dresses when when they were just given their clothes. But anyway, if the world was fair, we would know it, right? But Anna, she has another gift. And I think this is very sweet because you realize it's Mary who offered her a brooch, a um, heart-shaped brooch, which I think is very, very sweet. And very, very funny is Carson receiving a book on the royal families of Europe. <laughs> Like, yeah, this is such Carson to receive that and to be happy about receiving that because remember he said a couple of episodes ago, he said that monarchy was like the blood of Europe or something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then in the servants' hall, when all the servants are eating their uh, Christmas luncheon, Daisy and Mrs. Papmore, they are sitting at table with them. And I thought this is really sweet. So maybe all the kitchen maids are here too. But it's great that 
on Christmas Day, they're all together. And I thought it was really, really nice. And so why the servants have their luncheon downstairs? In the library, the family are exchanging presents. Robert says that it's a down tradition that the servants have their Christmas feast at luncheon and the family has it at dinner. And I think this is really nice. I mean, it's just for one luncheon because uh, Richard is very annoying. It's like, but why? Why can't I be served? And like Mary says, because it's Christmas Day. They can't have a rest for just one luncheon. And so they change gifts and obviously the funniest are by Isabel. Oh, this is nice. This is, what is it? What does it look like? Something for getting stones out of horses' hooves. It's a nutcracker. We thought you'd like it. To crack your nuts. I just love Violet's face when she takes out the nutcracker and she looks at it like, what is that? Oh my god, these two. Oh, they're the best. Since it's Christmas, I thought that that would be my French word of the day. We would try to stay in a jolly mood because, well, it's Christmas, okay? So, Christmas in French, it's Noël, which you probably already have heard because there's literally a song called The First Noël. It's written N. O-E-L, and there's diaresis on the E. I hope that's how you say it, okay? But yeah. And so, what do you do at Christmas? You exchange presents. So, I will give you presents too. And present, in the singular, in French, it's cadeau. C-A-D-E-A-U. It's um, masculine, so it's un cadeau. And if it's in the plural, so presents, you add an X at the end. So Christmas, it's Noël, and presents, it's cadeau. In a servant's quarters, Daisy, she finds a board for planchette, and when she doesn't know what it is, and the brand, well, tells her what it is, and she says, well, if you don't want it, I will keep it. Why does it not surprise me that O'Brien knows what it is and that she wants to keep it? I don't know. And so then O'Brien and Thomas, they play, well, you can't really play, but use would say the planchette like thomas says they try to speak to the dead and daisy she's not really comfortable with that while upstairs the family plays the game and so well richard say do you always play charades and Violet says well it's this is not charades this is the game and there was a line that was cut uh where violet explained to richard that charades you speak while in the game, you are silent, you mime. So that's the difference. So it's not charades, it's the game. And Julian said that he used to play the game on Christmas Day. He added his own family tradition into Downton. Yeah, I thought it was quite cool that they all play together on Christmas. I liked it. Then on New Year's Eve, all the servants have a glass of wine at midnight, which again, I thought is quite nice. And the family and the guests in the drawing room, they serve themselves. On New Year's Eve, like Mary said, there's two moments in the year where we serve ourselves. Christmas luncheon and New Year's Eve. So I think it's quite nice that they can have moments for just themselves without serving the family. So then it's midnight, so Happy New Year. I just love when Robert comes to say Happy New Year to his mother. And she says, 1920, (laughs) is it to be believed? I feel as old as Methuselah. It's so much prettier. Uh, I don't know why it makes me laugh. Like, I just love this scene. Because first, now we know we're in 1920, so we are entering the 20s. 
it's a new dawn, a new age. Very exciting. And I don't know why every time he says that, Robert's but so much prettier. <laughs> Makes me laugh. And then, when it's the new year, there's the shoot. Love those shots with the fog. It's just, I love fog. <laughs> I think it always adds a nice ambiance. I don't know, like, I think it's aesthetically pleasing to see shots of grounds and landscapes with fog, just like it. And when there's the shoot, they have luncheon outside, which we never saw before. And because he's always here, Arrested Bruce is again an extra during the shoot scenes. Really love him. I like it when I can spot him and I'm like, oh, hey, here he is. It's where is Alastair Bruce. I like this game. And the last, like, I would say holiday season tradition, it's the servant's ball. And in a deleted scene, Carson says that the servant's ball is always on the 12th of January. And I really like this small scene where Matthew and Robert are, well, no, Robert's actually taking a drink and gives one to Matthew before the servant's ball. Like, we need to uh, gather our strength <laughs> or, like Robert says, the coming ordeal. And so they talk about who Matthew should dance with because Cora always opens it with Carson, which was something that Violet used to do. She even said it earlier this season when she said that she was very good at mixing because with Carson, they always opened the servant's bowl. And so Cora is dancing with Carson because since Robert's father died, Violet does not do it anymore. Then Robert comes in with Mrs. Hughes. And technically Violet's supposed to dance with Robert's valet, but since Bates was here, they let it go because, you know, Bates with his leg and stuff. And so they're off because um, he said maybe Thomas would like to dance with Violet, not with Matthew. That's why he definitely got the nerves to do it, which is true. And so Robert's like, well, maybe it would be nice if you dance with O'Brien. And Matthew's face is like, oh, crikey, great. Like, I think in all of the servants, it was like, please, not O'Brien. Hey, let's dance with O'Brien. Okay, great. <laughs> but then so they're drinking and Cora comes to fetch them because uh, well, the ball is going to start. And like we said, Thomas had the nerves because he comes to ask Violet to dance. And I really, really, really love it. And every time, every time I see Maggie Smith dancing, especially when it's awards, I can't stop thinking about that scene in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire when she teach the Gryffindor students how to dance. And then she's like, one, two, three, one, two, three. Well, that is what I have in my head every time I see her dance. So yeah, I'm a Potterhead, so obviously. Now that we're all in the very festive spirit, let's just talk about the different storylines that we have in this episode. And first, let's talk about Daisy. Because we said that last episode we had the very, very beginning of a new relationship, which is Daisy and Mr. Mason. And we're going to see it more in this episode. But first, we have Rosamond's maid, Miss Shaw, that puts ideas in Daisy's head. She tells her like she could be a sous chef in London or a proper cook. <laughs> Just laughing. Daisy's like, I don't know what a sous chef is. <laughs> Basically, she tells her that she could be more than just a kitchen maid because she does a lot, which is true. Like she learned a lot of stuff, but it's not her place to just come and just the way that she said it, you know, it's that gets my nerves. But anyway, but then Mr. Mason, he comes to see Daisy 
because he wants her to go to the farm. You know, he wrote a letter to her to say that he would love her to come and she wanted to because, you know, I lied. I was not in love with William and nani nana. And at first, she wanted to say the truth to him, saying that she and William were friends, but she didn't feel like he did at first. But then you realize that she doesn't say the truth, like, I didn't love him. She said, well, at first I didn't feel like him, but then in the end, well, you realize she just, she couldn't tell him the truth because Mr. Mason said, she, I, I think she just doesn't want to break his heart, but she feels bad because I should not lie to him so very complicated but then she mrs papo she doesn't want her to tell the truth well what daisy says is the truth and she's very glad when she doesn't say it to mr mason but then daisy says well more lies and i like when mrs papo say oh were they and i'm like her i'm not sure there were lies you know maybe daisy never realized that she loved william maybe not like exactly like he loved her but she loved him but thanks to Michaud and the ideas that she put in Daisy's head, Daisy, she start rebelling a bit. But instead of just saying it, saying maybe I want to be more than just what I am, you know, am I a kitchen maid, am I an assistant, what way I am, I want to be more. She just beats about the bush and obviously that upsets Mrs. Patmore. She just say, well, uh, because, so we're going to talk about Bates, but you have Bates' trial and they say to serve dinner 20 minutes after everyone comes back. But when is that? <laughs> You don't know 20 minutes yet, but are they coming back in an hour or two? They don't know. And she's a bit angry. She's like, oh, he's done to me again. I have to do everything. And uh, well, she starts complaining. And Mrs. Patmore, she's so angry. She said, okay, so you complain. That's a thing. You complaining now when Mr. Bates has been sentenced to death. Like, really, you cannot have chosen your moment better. She says, I expect Mr. Bates would rather be wondering how to keep a roast chicken warm than sitting in a lonely cell facing his maker. Then again, I just love it when she's just, she sighs. And Miss Papa's like, what is it again? It's like, well, I think you've taken me for granted. And you see how Mrs. Papmore, she tries to stay calm. She's like, okay, breathe, breathe. Everything will be fine. And again, she does not tell her what's the problem. She tries to make her understand instead of just telling her, I think I want to be more than just a kitchen maid, which would be simpler, but apparently she does not do it. You know, Miss Papmore says, you know what, you're tired, go to the farm. It would be nice, you know, like a bit of fresh air, but obviously Daisy, she doesn't want to because she feels it would be dishonorable because she lied and, you know, now I think we, we get it. And then you have a scene which is one of my favorite scenes. This scene, I love it. Daisy, she is mending the fire in the library and she's crying. And then Violet comes in. And so you have the meeting of two people that that usually never met, that never in any circumstances they would have met, you know, because Daisy, she's one of the lowest person on the ladder and Violet is one of the highest person of the ladder. And actually being the dowager, she doesn't live in the house anymore. And the only time they actually been in the same room together was when Daisy got married to William. And that's why I love this scene, because two words that are literally colliding at this moment. It's two words, two generations. It's just, I don't know why, just the idea of it is absolutely amazing. And I love this scene. So Violet wants Daisy to explain to her why she is crying. 
what is the issue? So they talk about William. And Violet, she doesn't really understand. She's like, but why, why do you think you have been false to him? You were married to him for half an hour. Like, I understand. And I love when they say, well, it's a bit complicated to explain. And Violet says, well, try. And I love the fact that she wants to understand. Like, she really, at that moment, she wants to know what is happening. And I thought that is really sweet, but she could just have told her, leave. No, she wants to know what is the issue. Maybe even Violet remembers that she was the one married to William, which is which might be why she wants to know what is happening. I really love it. And so Daisy said, well, I didn't love him and I married him because I thought it was cheer him up. I said, oh, so you did all that without even liking him? He said, no, no, I did like him. But uh, yeah, and Violet says, well, so you married him to keep his spirits up at the end? And Daisy says, well, I yeah, I suppose I did. And then, oh, finally, someone say what I've been saying all along and thinking <laughs> since the beginning. Violet, she says, Well, forgive me, but that doesn't sound unloving. To me, that sounds as if you loved him a great deal. Oh, thank you, Violet, for saying it. Because I think it's true. Whatever they say, whatever Daisy thinks, just even the fact that she wanted to marry him, even if she was a bit pressured by Miss Padmore, to, she kept the lie going on to keep his spirits up and make sure he's happy when he dies. Just that, I think in a way, even if we say that truth is usually buried in lies, I think it's quite loving. And again, I'm saying it, I don't believe there were lies. Because she said, I really, really liked him. So I'm not sure she realized that she might, yeah, love him and not just like him. But anyway, I just thought when then Robert arrives in the library, he's like, what is she doing here? And Violet, mending the fire and suffering. Oh, I love it. This scene, I think it's one of my favorite scenes. No, it's not. I think I know it is because I love the idea of it. I mean, the Dowager Countess of Grantham meeting the kitchen maid. Like this is, <laughs> yeah, two, two different words. Oh, I love it. And then... So our servants are, you know, they try to talk to the dead again. And Mrs. Papmore, she decides to join in. And when she is moving the thing, how do you call it? Well, she's moving the thing to make Daisy think that it's William that wants to talk to her. And she says, go to the farm, make dad happy. And what I love in this scene is Thomas's face because where he realized that it's uh, Mrs. Papmore that is moving the little wood thing. Yeah, I have great vocabulary today. And his face like, what the hell? Uh, well, he and Orion are not stupid. They realize that she made that so that Daisy would go to the farm because if Daisy thinks it's William who told her, then she thinks I should go to the farm now, right? And after that, she talks about it with Miss Papa and said, well, do you think it was William? That, well, maybe I should go to the farm if he said that I should go. And Miss Papa was like, yes, I think you should, only to spare my fingers. Oh, I like it. Mrs. Patmore. I love her so much. But then so Daisy, she goes to the farm. And oh, I think this is really, really sweet. I love her since Mr. Mason. I just love when he talks about the family that William actually had brothers and sisters, but they all died at birth. And so William, it was not only the only child, it was almost like their miracle. And I when he says that, I think that William, what he wanted, when he wanted to marry, is also so I would not be alone. And I'll have someone to pray for. And this is really sweet because you realize that they kind of need each other in a way. Daisy never really had parents. She has never been special to anyone. 
and it's amazing to say well i i want to have someone to pray for i want to have someone special to me now that my boy is gone so now she can be special to him and i think it's really sweet and she says no i've never been special to anybody and he says except william and she says yeah i think so i never thought about it that way this whole thing is just really sweet because she they realize that a bit thanks to william thanks to this she gained more than just being a war widow she gained a father and i think it's really sweet And then, you know, she says, well, if you agree to be my daughter, you have to agree that I can give you advices. Well, if you do not agree with how you are treated, you know, if you want something different, just ask, talk with people. And I says, well, they wouldn't listen to it, but try. If you have not tried to talk to them, how can you be sure that they wouldn't listen, you know? And so in the end, she says to Mrs. Papmore that she wants to be a proper assistant cook. And Mrs. Papmore is like, but why have you not said that like that before? And I think she says, well, I've taken advice from the wrong person, which is true. Because I'm not completely against what Mrs. Shaw said, because she was right in the way that she could be more than just a kitchen maid. But just instead of just saying it, she kept just like teasing and sending hints about, oh, you know, oh, if she's the one making the souffle too, oh, you should give something to challenge her like and daisy just being rebelling just and then like that you get nowhere and the only results of it is that you get on people's nerves and when you really want something that they wouldn't want to give it to you because they are fed up with you so in the end we love mr mason he gives great advice (laughs) to stay with our servants thomas because now thomas is a servant again but what he would love to be is not just a footman, he would like to go up and be a valet. Because while well, Bates is not here, you remember last episode he got arrested. And in this episode you have his trial actually. And so Thomas he thinks that maybe he can be Robert's valet. Because he was actually his valet before Bates came, you know. He was just replacing the former valet, but he already was once Robert's valet, so he would like to be again. But for now, it's Carson who dresses Robert. And when they're together in the dressing room, where they talk about replacing Bates, but Robert doesn't want to, because first he thinks that, because replacing Bates means that Bates would never come back, he doesn't want that. And then he doesn't really want Thomas, because you know, I know now we've forgiven him for the stealing and stuff, but it's very intimate, you know, to be dressed and undressed by someone, and I'm not sure that I'm ready to have Thomas as my valet, which I can understand. And it's the first time, I think, that we see Robert not being dressed, but like usually we see him like just before going to bed when he just put on his pajamas and then they, he put his, his dressing gown on. But now he's actually taking it off because he's taking his pajamas off. And I thought this is the first time that we see him literally undressing, but like, while taking his pyjamas off. And what I think is always weird is why his pyjama shirt is always buttoned up like until like the last button. Because if he's supposed to sleep, does he really sleep with all the buttons until the last one, like really high up? Or does he just do it before going to his dressing room to make people think that he's dressed properly? I don't know if you understand what I mean, but anyway, so uh, Thomas said, well, I'm sure, I'm sure where his relative does not trust me because of the stealing, which we can understand because you working in a house where 
you have access to a lot of things that are not yours from the ones that Thomas has stolen to jewelry or Robert's snuff boxes. So I can understand that, yes, of course, he does not trust you because you stole once, maybe you can steal again. So O'Brien says to him, say, well, you need to regain his trust. He's like, yeah, but how? He said, well, I don't know. Hide something he likes, then give it back. And at that moment, Thomas just turns his head and Isis is there. But then Thomas is asked Carson again by becoming a valet and he says, well, he doesn't trust me about the stealing, is it? So he has confirmation that yes, Robert, for now he does not trust Thomas. And then, surprise, Isis is missing. Oh my God, how is that possible? Well, Thomas, he is with Isis in the woods and he wants to hide her and he locks her up in a shed. And I like Julian's comment on that. He says, there is nothing Robert loves more than his dog. <laughs> well, ain't that the truth? So Isis is missing and they organize a search party to find her. They didn't find her. So they decided to create a day and to start again tomorrow. And when they are in the woods to look for her, Thomas, he sees the shed, but there's no way that he can go there and get her free without being suspicious. So the dog is still out there. I just like what Mrs. Hughes said to Carson. You'd think the good Lord would have spared him the loss of his dog at a time like this. I just like the fact that everybody knows how fond Robert is of his dogs. Even Edith and Mary, they're like, oh my God, this is so terrible for him. But I think Robert is the, the level of love for his dog. Sometimes I'm like, just Robert, please. It's not like you have a wife and children, but anyway. I kind of like how he loves his dog. And so then in the morning, really early in the morning, Thomas, he goes to the shed to look for Isis, but Isis isn't there anymore. So he tries to look for her in the woods, but he doesn't find her. And he, I mean, how he looks, you feel like he has been to war, literally. I mean, his appearance is just, I mean, if Carson sees that, he might have a heart attack. And then, well, Isis is back. And she's actually out with Robert. And when Robert sees, sees him, he's like, what in God's name happened to you? Like, why well, Thomas says, but I was looking for your dog. Say, oh, really? Yeah, but I know how fond of her you are. So yeah, I wanted to find her so that you would be happy. And Robert, he's surprised and he's impressed. Like, oh, really? Well, it's good to know that there's some decency left in the world. Some decency, like, yeah, well, if you knew the whole story. Oh my God, I think this is so funny. And so in the end, when Robert's being dressed with Carson, he says that he wants to give Thomas a chance. He says, I think I've misjudged him. There's more true kindness in him than I'm given credit for. Is there? I love Carson's face when he says, is there? Like, are we talking about the same Thomas? But so in the end, Thomas's plan has worked, kind of. Okay, he wasn't the one who found the dog bag. But in the end, the fact that he was looking for her, well, Robert kind of saw, you know, apparently a new side of Thomas. So he's ready to give him a chance. Oh my God. I thought it was really, really, really funny. Then, well, it's quite short, but it's not even going to say the beginning of a story, but like the continuation of a story that we had a while back about Edith and Anthony Stratton. 
Remember Anthony Stratton that wanted to propose to Edith at the garden party in episode 7 of season 1, but didn't because of Mary and stuff? Well, Edith, she asked Robert if Anthony Stratton is coming to the shoot. Robert says that he asked him several times, but he said no. I realized that she's a bit disappointed. She's like, but why does he want to go? He was so keen before the war. So then Edith is at the Dower House and Violet has invited Anthony Strallen without warning Edith. Violet says, well, you were so, you looked so, you know, disappointed that he wasn't come shooting. So I thought, you know. And first weird thing is that he comes with a chauffeur. And usually Anthony Strallen used to drive himself, you know, he even drive with Edith before the war. And so he arrives and I like his face. Like he arrives, he's so smiling, say, hello, Lady Grantham. And he sees Edith like, oh, like he's, he's surprised. He didn't expect that. And she's so happy to see him because I think, yeah, obviously she'll be happy to see him because after the war, there's so many people that died that you're happy to see someone that, like she says, uh, is unscathed, like someone that is alive. But he says that he's not completely in one piece because he took a bullet in his right arm and now he got no use of it and you see Violet's face at that moment it's like oh shit <laughs> why did I do and I like it because they talk of Sybil and so we know more because yeah I haven't said it but Sybil isn't here because Sybil she left for Ireland with Branson so she's not here I just love this exchange you know he asked if they all went there Mary and I did. Papa no, and we were and all ill. Isn't it sad? And what's he like? He's political. As long as he's on the right side. <laughs> so does he shoot? I'm sure he does. But I don't think pheasants. What I like is that even if they're not here, they're still there. Some because the characters do not see them, that they have completely disappeared. And I love it because it's so upsetting when in shows you have characters you do not see for a while, but it feels like they never existed. I don't know if you know what I mean. But so we actually learned at that moment that Mary and Edith went to the wedding, but Robert and Cora and Violet didn't. Well, to be honest, I never thought Violet would have come to Dublin, but yeah. Robert and Cora, that's sad. Well, I don't think Robert would have wanted to go. I think Cora would have wanted to go. But um, yeah, I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about Colbert. But so, in New Year's Eve, Edith, she says to Rosamond that she knows why Anthony Strand didn't want it to come shoot him because he injured his arm. And I like when Violet to Rosamond, do not encourage it. Like, I feel bad to have started it. You know, I just thought Edith would be happy because, you know, you have Mary, she's still engaged to Carlisle, and you have. Sybil, she's married. You no, know, I think for her, she said that she, she would be a bit less lonely. But now she's like, no, she would be a nurse. Like, do not encourage it, okay? But obviously, Edith, she really, really liked Strallen. So she goes to see him. She drives, actually, to see him. Which I think it's um, a nice parallel when you say that he was the one that before the war used to drive to see her. So now she's the one who drives to see him. And he tells her that he's too old for her, that they can't go back to the way it was before the war. And first, Izzy said, oh, if it's because of what Mary said, that wasn't true. He's like, no, it wasn't, but if you say it's not true, well, I, I believe you. But he says, well, I'm too old for you, and now I don't need a wife, I need a nurse. Like, I can't do something like that as someone as lovely as you. 
And I think it's good for him to say, so you see that he's a good man because I'm sure that there's some men that, that would have not said anything and say, okay, let's get married. Especially if you know that he doesn't have an heir. Yeah, I think he doesn't have an heir. So having a young girl like Edith coming is like a gift, you know? So I'm sure there were a lot of men that would have said, yes, let's get married. So we can give him that. I'm not a big fan of Strannon, but I think he was always a nice man. And him not wanting to marry Edith because he thinks he's too old and he would be like a burden. I think it gives him credit. Obviously, she doesn't want to accept that because she even says, If you think I'm going to give up on someone who calls me lovely. One man calls her lovely and she wants to marry him. And all that is because of the way she was treated. She's probably since she was a child. We already talked about the fact that Cora and Robert, sometimes it, I think they forgot that Edith is their daughter too. Like, yeah, I think they might have not give her the same attention that Mary or Sybil so she always felt like she was maybe not loved enough. Like they do not take her defense a lot because Mary, she loves to to make fun of her and stuff. And I don't think they took her defense a lot. And I feel really bad for Edith. And I can't head it against her for wanting to marry a man that generally love her because I do believe that Anthony Strand really love her. And that's why he doesn't want her to marry him because he thinks it, he would be a burden. But she does not agree because no one was ever that nice to her and now that mary's supposed to get married sybil is married she feels i think she feels really lonely especially now that the house is not a covalence's home anymore because before that she well she could do something and she felt useful now she feels maybe a bit empty so i can understand her really and i think the way she thinks about herself it's a lot i think because of her parents because I have read sometimes that people think that she was maybe stupid or any or something else because of Australian but I just think because because Mary she had so many suitors, so many men that were on her feet. I mean, she had Matthew and Evelyn and and she had, you know, the whole public situation that she had Carl. Like she has so many men that are attracted to her. And Edith has always been in her shadow. So when a man finally sees her for who she is, she feels so nice. <laughs> so I can understand her and I feel a bit sorry for her. Again, poor Edith. And now let's talk about Rosamond. I am so happy that we had a storyline with Rosamond because I love her. I absolutely love her. And so this storyline actually involves uh, Lord Hepworth and Rosamond's maid, Miss Shaw. Rosamond, she asked Robert to invite Lord Hepworth to the shoot. Well, Robert says that she insisted. And I love Violet's face. She's like, what? And I love it when you have the introduction of a new character, so you don't know him. But from the reaction of the others, like, you kind of know like the history of the character. Like Violet's reaction, she's like, what? Why you do that? So you're like, okay, she might not like him. And she said, well, he, you know, he knew I was coming here. So he asked if he should come and, you know, and Cora, who's the nicest. Said, well, maybe he's alone. It can be a lonely time of year. So maybe he wants to be with people, you know. And someone, Violet says to Robert said, well, him being lonely? Yeah, I'm not really sure about it. So Robert's like, what, do you know him? So yeah, I knew his father in the late 60s. And I love every time we talk about Violet's youth. I think it's so interesting, especially now that we had the second movie and we knew more i think oh my god we should have a pre-core series just on violet her youth from her being a 
young girl to marrying Robert's father and everything in between and God, it would be so nice. And then we need a prequel series on Ryan Roberts, obviously. So, I mean, so that would be so nice. But anyway, and I just um, so love when she says, I knew, I knew him in the late 60s. And then she says, <laughs> which means, but where are the snows of yesteryear? Something like that. And I just felt how she casually said it. You know, like at that moment, she just goes back to, well, the late 60s, like yesteryear. And I just like it. But so, this Lord Hepworth, he arrives, but he arrives without a valet. But he plays it really well, he says, oh, I'm so sorry. But he seems nice. But then it's something that Cora says to Robert. He, she says, O'Brien says that Rosamond's maid says only good thing about him. So I think the guy is nice. And then Hepworth and Rosamond actually, their room actually next to each other. And I have this chat, the two of them, with her maids, Miss Shaw, but like really friendly chat, you know. She even says, oh, you remember my maid? I love it when, um, so Miss Shaw says uh, to Rosamond, she says, well, and I will see you after midnight, so after the new year. And he says, well, I wish I could say the same and uh, only joking. <laughs> You're like, okay, like, you know, we know why it's here. His interests for Rosamond are clear. And then when he meets Violet, and he even asked Rosamond, do you think she remembers me? She's like, oh, she remembers. And Violet, well, she does. She's like, oh, how nice to see you. <laughs> and just that she would love to talk to him alone, you know, to talk about the memories that she has with his father and stuff. Talk about the snows of yesteryear, you know. And in this scene, actually, Rosamond's dress is, I think, the same one that Cora had in season one. Uh, the one that she had in episode two when they met Matthew and Isabel, you know, the welcome to Downton scene, is the same dress because I've checked it out. And I think it's quite odd that in, so we're going to enter 1920, Rosamond has a dress that Cora wore before the war, so around 1912. I think it's quite weird. I don't know, I don't know if you ever noticed that, but yeah, I do believe it's the same dress. And I think it's even odder that they would wear the same dress. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> but then something weird. Anna sees Shaw and Hepworth in a gallery talking. And I think which is even weirder, it's Shaw that tries to justify why they were talking. He says, oh, you know, he wants me to speak up for him, um, for Lady Rosamond. I think it is weirder for her to try to justify why they were talking than just if she hasn't said anything. And, well, you know, Violet, in the end, she ends up knowing absolutely everything. <laughs> and so Hepworth is at the Dower House and you realize that he's broke, but he has no money, no fortune, no house is nothing. But you see that Violet, she knows it. So my spies tell me, so you want Rosamond, or rather the fortune of the late Mr. Painswick, to come to the rescue? My feelings for Lady Rosamond are sincere. I admire her immensely. I do not doubt it. My only fear is that you admire her money more. Oh, God, Violet. She's the best. But she says, you know what? I have nothing against Rosamond marrying you if you tell her the truth. If you tell her the truth and she has all the facts and she still wants to marry you, 
that's up to her. And so after dinner, he talks with Rosamund and he says that he has to talk to her. So we realize that he will tell her, or we think he will tell her. And then Rosamund, she's Violet, and she says to her that, yes, she knows that he has no money. No fortune. He's lucky not to be playing the violin in Leicester Square. But Rosamund said, well, I'm tired of being alone, which I can understand because we don't know when her husband, so Marmaduke Painswick, died, but he was already dead when the show started, so in 1912. And, well, now we're in 1920, so at least eight years, which we think maybe it's more. We don't really know when he died, but there was some... I know in the Phantom some talk that maybe he died at the Boer War, which could be very plausible. So that would be that he died around the beginning of the century, so around 1901 or 1902, something like that. So that would be plausible. There were even some theories that maybe he died saving Robert, which could be, again, very plausible. I like those ideas. So yeah, whatever. She's tired of being alone. And, my God, I absolutely love what Violet says to her then. He's a fortune hunter, my dear. A pleasant one, I admit, but a fortune hunter. Still, it's your decision. And I don't know why, but when Violet says that, I can feel that it is what Cora's mother said to her when she said that she wanted to marry Robert. Like, I want to marry him. I'm in love with him. And her mother being like, but he's a fortune hunter. Okay, he's nice, but he's a fortune hunter. <laughs> I don't know why that's my uh, my vision of it, but I can picture her telling that to her daughter. So I thought it was really funny because now it's Violet saying that to Rosamund. Then after Violet, she comes to see Robert because she wants to talk to him about this Lord Hepworth, Lady Rosamund situation. That's when she meets Daisy in the library and that uh, they talk about William. So then they talk about it with Robert. So do you think that, you know, it's okay for a woman of Rosamund's age to marry a fortune hunter? And Robert's like, well, if she knows all the facts, I would say yes, if she wants it. But for God's sakes, let's tie up the money. <laughs> and then Robert Violet says, my thoughts exactly. <laughs> because they are not usually on the same side, both of them. So I like when they're on the same team. I think it's really funny. But Rosamund, she actually said to her mother that she uh, wanted to ask Robert to invite Hepworth again for the servants' ball. And so he's back and he says that he's very glad to, be, to have been invited again. And Rosamund said, well, you owe her my maid a tip because she couldn't stop telling me to invite you and I didn't want to lose her. So again, this is fishy because I think we talk about this maid way too much with this Lord Hepworth. You no, know, she says good things about him she insists that Rosamund invite him again like they're a bit fr too friendly this is this is fishy and for a second time Anna sees Miss Shaw and Lord Hepworth talking and laughing again fishy even Anna she says this is weird you know and Miss Shaw she says well he's pushing his luck but she says to Anna well you know men and I love what Anna says and I know women too and then during the servants ball Anna, she sees them going up the stairs together. So it's not even fishy, like we see there's something going on. And so with Mary and Rosamond, she goes to see where they were. So Anna opens the door and here there are Michelle 
and Lord Hepworth together in bed. Rosamund see them. And I just like when, like all the time, it's not what you think. Why do they always say that? You know, it's not what you think. And I went says, oh, because there's room for misinterpretation. Like, um, excuse me. But then you realize that they had an affair, like the maid and Lord Hepworth. And in the end, Rosamond, you see that she's very disappointed. I even say that maybe she's a bit crushed and sad. And Mary, she's like, well, it's a good escape if you ask me, you know. And she says, well, yes, of course, you're right. But I, I hate when mamas prove right. I think she only said that to appear like, yes, she like she was not very touched by what happened because I truly believe that she wanted to marry him because she really feels a bit lonely. And so I, I thought it was a bit sad. Like, I, I felt a bit sad for her. You know, like Sybil said, poor Aunt Rosamond all alone in that big house. Well, in the end, it's best that she didn't marry him, you know. But now she has to find a new lady's maid too. And like Cora said, is there anything worse than losing one's maid? But now let's talk about the angsty stuff. Bates' trial. The angst of the episode is in Bates' trial. Because, well, he got arrested last episode. And so through the whole episode, you have well, the shadow, I would say, of Bates' trial. They literally talk about it every time. At the beginning, when Cora is giving her present to Anna, she says to her that they've all prayed for him in church. And Mrs. Hughes, she even tries to comfort her and try not to worry. You know, I'm sure everything turned out well in the end. You know, if he's not guilty, you know, for her, she thinks if he's not guilty, he can't stay in prison forever. But obviously, Anna, she's worried. <laughs> well, my husband is on trial for his life. So, well, yes, I'm a bit worried. And in the silence hall, they talk about it. Mrs. Hughes said, well, I don't want to spoil everybody else's fun, but... You know, I can't really be very jolly thinking about Mr. Bates and Mistral because really she is a bit annoying. She says, oh, is that the one Lady Rosamond talks about? The murderer. Like she says like, yeah, he has been wrongly accused. So he's not a murderer anyway. And then so in the dining room upstairs, they talk about it. You know, they say that they should make a wish. Yeah, well, let's all make a wish. A wish and a prayer. And Richard, because he's the annoying person from upstairs, says, oh, is this about Bates again? Like, <sighs> and then they talk a bit about it. They say, well, he has been wrongly accused. So, and Richard's like, well, you hope so. And I love how everybody's actually against <laughs> Richard's like, we know so. It's so apparently the trial is in York. So Murray managed to uh, have it in York and not in London anyway. And Richard, he asked if he's confident. Cora says where he seems to be. And I love what Violet says. Yeah, lawyers are always confident before the verdict. It's only afterwards they share their doubts. And while everybody is celebrating Christmas, we have Bates alone in his cell. Well, this is really, really heartbreaking. He's alone and he's crying. He has a photo of Anna in his hands. Like, this is really, really sad and depressing. And Anna, she visits him and he says to her that she should prepare for the worst. And I like when she says, you know, I want to worry after it had happened and not before. You know, like, I want to prepare for the worst once it happened, not before, please. <laughs> I want to, I don't want to give up hope. And during the luncheon show, Isabel says to Robert that she would like to go with them to Bates' trial because Cora told her that she is not coming. 
so she wants but isabel you see that she wants to be helpful all the time so if she can have it anyway she wants to be there but i think it's nice of her to want to be there and then in the evening murray telephoned late because he said that he wanted to talk to robert o'brien and mrs Hughes before the trial to explain to them how everything we happened so he says that to Cora and Chris, like, but why would they have to testify, not the others? What Mrs. Hughes and Brian knows that the others don't? And I think we like her, like, why them? Like, asking Carson to testify, yes, but like, why O'Brien? Like, this is weird. And then you realize that Miss O'Brien and Mrs. Hughes, they have been called up for the prosecution. And Mrs. Hughes said, but why? I don't believe he is guilty. Why have, have I been called for the prosecution? That O'Brien will be called for the prosecution is not the most shocking thing but mrs hughes like yeah it's weird and then it's the trial i just love the fact that the trial all the scenes are together like you have you have the trial like you have the angsty part all together so you know you're like really stressed for a couple of minutes but then you can breathe well you can breathe <laughs> not really i really do love those scenes so first you have o'brien who's testifying and so she says what she heard when he talked to his lawyer, but she realized that she doesn't want to say things that would go against him. She says, but, you know, you couldn't blame him. Like, wait, say, look at his wife, you know, him being angry, you couldn't blame him. But she realized that she realizes that what she would say would go against him. But she doesn't really want to say it. You feel it. Like when she says, uh, you know, what he said when he came back from London, is where he said it was worse than she could possibly imagine. She says that, like she just took a deep breath and said, okay, I'm going to say it just in a one one shot and then I can breathe again. But you see that she doesn't want to. And every time before she has to say something that would go against him, she looks at him like, like I don't want to say it. You see that she doesn't want to say it. And it's the same for Mrs. Hughes. Like you see how she's struggling. She says, I don't want to say it. Like I wasn't supposed to be listening. And it's when she listened, when uh, she gave them a sitting room because she could listen. Is because of that that then Carson knew that if Bates left was because of Vera and the scandal and stuff. But you see that she feels really, really bad. And you know, I said, well, that Bates was violent. He threatened to like strike her or something like that. Mrs. doesn't want to say it. Really, she's struggling. But then she looks at Bates and you see that Bates, he's, um, he nods. Like saying to her, it's okay, you can, you can say it because it's the truth. You can say it. And then, uh, so there's a break and Anna, she's very disappointed in Mrs. Jewish. I can't believe that she would say things like that. And Isabel tries to take a defensive way. It's difficult to lie on oath. Mary says she looks as if she were in hell. It's so true. You see it. She didn't want it to say those things because the moment she was about to say it, she realized that this would go against him. So Robert's like, well, that's up to me then to show them that it is not in Bates' character to kill his wife. And so that's when Robert testifies. And at first he's very confident because like, well, Bates saved my life at the Bobo. I owe my life to him. Like, it's literally saying he's my best friend. He would not kill his wife. Like, no, this is ridiculous. But then, so the prosecution again asked him if Bates ever talked about his wife. And Robert's like, well, I don't really remember. He's like, maybe, I don't know. But because he said that once he talked to you about it and you advised restraint, you know, you know, to not lose your temper. Robert said, well, maybe I did. So prosecution, the guy said, well, apparently he followed your advice. 
what did he say? Do you remember what your exchange was about? Robert said, well, I, yeah, I think I told him, I hope his trip to London was about some property he owned and not the former Mrs. Bates. And then he's asked to say what Bates answered. And at that moment, you see that what he will say would definitely go against Bates, would probably be the thing that would make everything worse. And you see that he doesn't want to, and he keeps looking at Bates, and he looks at Anna, and he's like, he said, I wish she was the former, or better still, the late. And you see how he didn't want it to say it. it he struggled. And actually, there was a line when he said to Mary, I wish I had lied. Like, this is, this is awful. Then Isabel, she's with Mrs. Hughes and O'Brien, and she tries to comfort her, because both of them, they wanted that to end up this way. O'Brien says, well, I imagine Anna is very bitter. And maybe you could say, Isabel said, I know you are both praying for her. Like, I know you didn't want it that. I know this is not your fault. You only told the truth, which is right. They only said the truth. And it's awful because everything points to Bates. And well, then we have the verdict, guilty. And so he's sentenced to death. And this scene is so heartbreaking because Anna, she's literally, she's screaming like she, like her whole world just collapsed. And Bates, he's crying and they look at each other and he calls for Anna. And just this scene is absolutely awful. And so then they're all together. So you have Murray, Matthew, Isabel, Robert, Mary and Anna. And try to tell her that if someone is charged guilty of murder, the judge has to sentence him to death. But now what they want to do is to change his sentence to life imprisonment. So obviously Anna's like, well, how is that better? And said, because obviously if there's life imprisonment, they have time to find proof that he did not do it because he would be in prison. Yes, but he would not die. And the plan is to first do that because if you still try now to prove that he's not guilty while he's sentenced to death, there's a chance that he might be hanged and you haven't proven that he's not guilty. But if his sentence just life imprisonment well he will not die in the end well he might die but he's not sentenced to death so you have more time to find all the proof that you need to prove that he is innocent and obviously at first Anash doesn't want to believe that she said well he is innocent why do you want to say that and obviously because she's his wife and uh, for her how life imprisonment is better than be sentenced to death but their plan is actually the right one and so I think in the end she kind of understands even if it's really hard for her because her husband well, would still be in jail. I think they can challenge his sentence to death if uh, they can challenge the fact that it was made with premeditation or not. That is what they want to do. Robert, you see how he feels very bad. Like, Robert is wretched. I think he started to be a bit better after the war, after Jane, after all that. We're going to talk about that when we go to back covert. But that, at that moment, it's like, okay, I just sentenced my best friend to death. Everything is fine, right? Yay! I don't know if he's really best friend, but I do believe deep down Bates is his best friend. Okay. Mrs. Hughes and O'Brien, they're back in the seven source. They can explain what happened and they all feel bad. Really, you realize that this is the worst day ever. And Mrs. Hughes, she just wants to make things clear that even she has been called for the prosecution, she does not believe in Mr. Bates' guilt. And O'Brien, she says, I am sorry to have been part of it. And Thomas, he just uh, says to you, well, well, now his lordship, we need a new valet because Bates is not going to come back. And O'Brien says to him, 
I don't often feel selfless, but when I listen to you, I do. Out of the fact that she says that because even O'Brien, who wanted Bates to get out, realized that this is not what she wanted. So Mrs. Hughes, she comes to say what happened to Cora. And you see Cora, she's sorry too. I think she, she's more sorry for Robert. Mrs. Hughes said we're all upset downstairs. Like this is horrible. But like when she says, well, Mrs. Hughes, this is a time of grief for us, of grief and heartbreak. So you see that she kind of changed, like her attitude towards Bates kind of changed. But again, talk about that. When to talk about Colbert. And then Anna, she visits Bates and he says to her that he won't blame Robert for not lying because he didn't want it to say it. Because Anna, she's like, well, what he said made you sentenced to death. Like he tells her, yes, but he didn't want it to say it. He could feel that. He wanted to say it and he only told the truth. So I can't really blame him for that. And he even says to her that he wants her to forgive Mrs. Hughes and O'Brien because they don't want him here. Says, even Miss O'Brien, we are not friends, but she doesn't want me here. And oh my God, this scene, every time it makes me cry. But Anna, she tells him, you know, I'm not sorry. I would marry you now if I wasn't already your wife. And he tells her, God knows I'm not sorry either. Maybe I should be, but no man can regret loving as I have loved you. And then they cry and they kiss and they hug. And my heart is a bit broken. I know I said it was a jollier episode, but there's a lot of angst, okay? And this moment, oh my God, breaks my heart. And I love it because in this scene at the beginning, Bates, he asks Anna if she would stay at Downton. And she says, I don't know if they let me. And I love how Bates says, they will. Like he's confident that they will let you because they love you. And obviously everyone loves Anna. You know, they're all so fond of her. And then she comes to see Mrs. Cass and then she wants to give in her notice because she says, well, if I stay here, the story stays with me. You know, the house would be, you know, the house where a murderer worked, where his wife still worked. You know, she says, well, if I go away, the story will go away and they, it would die. So it's better for everybody. And Mr. Carson says, well, she's not wrong, you know, because he hates scandal. But Mrs. Hughes, she's like, I don't care. I do not accept it. You are a good worker. We all love you. You are not going away. But then Mary, she thinks about going to America. We're going to talk about that when we talk about Mary. But then Anna, she, she asks her, maybe I could come with you if you want. You know, I have to leave downtown, but I don't have to leave you. I love how Mary says, but well, you don't even have to ask. Of course you can come with me. And oh, I said it already, but their relationship, I absolutely love it. I think their relationship is a good parallel to Bates and Robert's relationship because it's more than just a servant and a lord or a lady. They're really friends and they have been through thick and thin together. You know, Bates and Robert are all Mary and Anna in the whole panel situation. I mean, they... I have believed some stuff together and I just love these two relationships. And so Anna, she says it to Mrs. Hughes that uh, she might go to America so she have a plan but it's only if well, the worst happens so if Bates is hanged. And I just love it when, you know, she, Anna, she cries and Mrs. Hughes, she just hugs her and you see that Anna, she has definitely forgiven Mrs. Hughes for what she said at the trial. I love Mrs. Hughes and, and Anna's relationship. I think I just love Mrs. Hughes' relationship with almost everybody. Because I think she understands people and their feelings. And I love Mrs. Hughes. Oh, and then this and I love it because you see Carson, he's literally running. He's not like walking to the library. He's running. So you're like, okay, 
something happened. So he's coming in because Robert is in the library with Cora. And I like it because Cora, she's the first one to see him and she sees how he is and she is with her needlepoint and she just casts his eyes like, oh my God, something happened, Robert. And so the telegram, it says that Bates has been reprieved. So it's life imprisonment, but he will not hang. So Cora says to Cass to come and fetch Anna to tell her the good news because in the end, it's still the good news because like Mary says, it's life, not death. The first thing that Anna thinks, it's, but it's still life imprisonment. But yes, but he will not hang. They would need to work to prove that he was not guilty, but at least he is alive. And Carson, he announces the good news downstairs and they're all pleased and relieved. But really, generally, they're all relieved and pleased by the news. Like O'Brien, even Thomas, he is. Because I think it's one thing to not liking someone. It's another thing to see them die. <laughs> And die like being hanged for a crime that they did not commit. So, um, yeah. And then Anna, when she goes to see Bates, and she says, well, now she will not leave downtown. She can't leave downtown. She doesn't want to. She is sad to let Lady Mary down, but she can't. You know, she wants to work and find the proof uh, that would make Bates go out of prison. But Bates, he made her promise that whatever happens, that she will live life. Because if she stays on with, you know, investigating says, I just don't want you to, to miss your life, you know, make friends, have great experiences, just don't waste everything on me, which I think is really sweet. And then at the seventh board, she talks to Robert and she says, well, she asked him if she could withdraw her resignation. And I love his face, like he smiles, he's so pleased and he says, I was hoping you'd say that. I love it because they all love her. She is the best and they absolutely do not want her to leave. And I love it. And this is sweet. So like I said, yes, there's angst. But in the end, all's well that ends well. Well, at least Bates will not die. So that's that's improvement. That is nice, okay? Well, he's still in prison, but he will not die. So that is good news, okay? Now, let's talk about my favorite, Colbert. After everything, all the angst that happened, you know, last episode uh, between, you know, the Spanish flu, Jane, Sybil leaving the war, lots of things, you know. Coraz asking Robert if they were all right, him saying, yes, of course. And you're like, no, you're not. But anyway, just to talk about Bates a bit, you see that Coraz had changed a bit. And I, I wonder if it's not just because Robert really talked to her about it. She sees that he's very upset by Bates being on trial for his life. But it's not just... I think she understood that he would not let Bates leave. Maybe he told her the truth. I don't know if she knows about Thomas and stuff. But maybe he really told her that he doesn't want Bates to leave. And maybe he told her that Anna was married to him. And I think that would have changed her mind because she really, really loves Anna. So maybe she also changed how she saw Bates because of that. But I went, she's in the library and Robert gives her a letter from Sybil. So she reads it and her reaction She's so cute. What is it? Sybil's pregnant. Oh, this is so sweet. And like when Robert said, oh, okay, so that's it. No return. She's crossed the Rubicon. She crossed it when she married him, Robert. I love the fact that Robert thought maybe that Sybil would come back. I should realize, no, that was wrong. I'm coming back. Like, it's Sybil. When she has an idea in her head, she's going for it. 
and she became a nurse she wanted to marry the chauffeur she went to ireland to marry the chauffeur and now she's pregnant like i think robert he needs to realize that she will not come back in a way like be lady sybil again and cora she's so pleased obviously her baby is having a baby like this is oh this is sweet but robert's like oh my god I'm not sure if this is really good news and he says so we're to have a fenian grandchild cheer up come the revolution it may be useful to have a contact on the other side she is so cute like oh mm -hmm. it's so nice to see her like that looking well after last episode where we thought that she would die i mean oh and then when it's new year's eve and the clock strikes midnight robert he kisses her cheek and they look happy like it's nice <laughs> it's a nice change from well the rest of the season then cora when she's alone in the drawing room and robert comes in after murray telephone and the whole like uh, business about uh, the trial and mr brand mrs hughes he talks to her about richard and before going further into that before that scene when matthew is talking with mary in the hall when he says to her that she doesn't have to marry richard cora comes to fetch mary and she looks at them at mary and at matthew like she stands that there's something and she really has a sad look almost like if she understands that matthew he's worried about mary and richard carlisle we all are because the guy really is a bit scary i think she feels really bad about this because she doesn't want her daughter to marry richard carlyle i'm still on that but she feels that she has to in a way because of the scandal but anyway so then cora drawing room with robert and then he talks to her about richard and he says well there was a weird moment at dinner have you noticed it and she said and you see that uh, she said it but she absolutely is not convinced about what she's saying when she says i'm sure she has it under control you see she is not convinced by what she says and robert says well does she i look at her and all i can see is a tired woman with a tiresome husband not a bride on the brink of heaven wish i could understand why she goes on with it do you think there's some element i might have overlooked yes cora if there is something and you know what it is tell me please perhaps it's time pause i mean perhaps it's time we just entered 1920 the Pamuk situation happened in 1913. So more than six years ago. Yeah, perhaps it's time. Definitely. I was hoping you'd say I was wrong. You're not wrong. But if I do tell you, swear not to fly off the handle and try not to be too hurt. Now you must tell me because nothing could be worse than my imaginings. Very well. Do you recall a Turkish diplomat who stayed here before the war? I think I can be relied on to remember any guest who is found dead in his bed next morning. Well, that's the thing. I love this scene. I love his face. I love when he says, no, nothing can be worse than my imaginings. <laughs> but I am quite disappointed that we didn't have his reaction to the story. I don't know. I think he would have been shocked and a bit disappointed by you know, the fact that he died in Mary's room. But I think what have shocked him the most would have been to know that Cora helped Mary move the body. I think that would have been a shock, like a real shock. More than just the guy dying in Mary's bedroom, like truly. I think it would have been a real shock, like you moved a dead body in the middle of the night. My God, I would have loved to see his reaction, like, oh my God. And maybe now he understands why 
his wife was acting the way she did because, you know, first she moved the dead body and she had the scandal to cover. So now maybe he just replay everything and he says like, oh, oh, now I get it. You know what I mean? But then remember when they were together in the library, her will only appoint him at his desk and Carson comes in to bring the telegram about Bates being reprieved. He's so relieved that he takes Cora's hands because most of the time she's the one that takes his hand. He takes Cora's hands and oh, and then she had his arm against her and oh, really, I am a sucker for anything about Cobra, about anything, any sweet gestures, love gestures, affection, anything, especially after the angst of season two. And this is really sweet. And then after the servants ball, they're again together in the library. He's pouring himself a drink and she asks him, do you think we can go to bed? And he says, yes, I think we can. We did our duty, like we can go to bed. And like when he says, last time I checked, Mary and Matthew were dancing together. And she says, well, let's not interfere with that. At the moment, Mary, she has already broken her engagement with Carlisle. And I like it that now they're on the same page again because Crashy was on the team Mary and Matthew together. You know, at the beginning of season two, she says, oh, they look so natural together, you know, like talking and laughing. She wanted him to be together, but then scandal. So I like that now they're on the same page again. And then talk about Sybil. She says that she has written to her and she sent her his love. And you see, he's like, mm, okay. I won't be kept away from my first grandchild, Robert. I don't know what you mean. I didn't quarrel with her. I gave my permission. I didn't fight it. But you wouldn't go to the wedding. So again, the wedding thing, I thought it was really interesting because so last episode I talked about a, a fiction called Are We Alright that covers from episode 8 of season 2 to actually, well, this scene. In this fiction, a huge part is about the wedding. Cora wants to go, Robert doesn't want her to go, and then he doesn't want to send Mary and Edith alone. And my question is, because I never thought about it until reading that fiction actually, is he can't have just sent Mary and Edith alone. So with whom did they go? Did they went with Richard Carlyle? Or who? Because Robert would never have sent his daughters alone in Ireland. <laughs> so yeah, who went with them? That is my question, if you have an answer. And really, that fiction, you should read it. It's so good. I think Robert's feelings were very well written and, and described and everything. But I already said it, but I say it again. And then she says, I want to go over there, and I want Sybil to come here. And the chauffeur. Him too. I just love how he's like, oh, so you want her, but maybe not her husband. Like, <laughs> what? Yes, of course, the chauffeur. She is married to the chauffeur, Robert, who is not a chauffeur anymore. Technically, he's a journalist now. And so now let's just talk about our favorite moment in the Cobert fandom, because it was not in the script. Well, not all of it. At that moment, the script says, she walks over to him, he stares at her, then he sighs. What happens is when she says her line that comes next, she holds out her arms to him. At that moment, he has his drink and when he sees that she's holding her arms for him to take hands, he puts his drink down on the table to reach her. And she says, Been a happy day, Robert. Let's end on a happy note. So he takes her hand and technically at that moment in the script, it says, he puts his arm around her shoulder, which is a surrender. But what happens, I'm so excited and happy, is that he kisses her, not even the cheek, it's like the 
literally the corner of her mouth, we can say that. But then they kiss. And I can't believe that this is our season two kiss. And that at first, Julian, he didn't wrote any kiss. He wrote three, no, four, because one was cut. Four kisses with Jane, but not one with Coral. Like, Julian, uh, hello. I mean, there's a problem here, okay? So I, I don't know who I, it was to do that, but I love them. This is like the best idea. I love it. This scene is just, because just saying in the script, which is a surrender, I think this is not a surrender. This is like a, a true, a proper reconciliation. It's almost like, let's everything that happened before behind us and just be together again. Like, oh my God. I mean, this is such a nice way to end this angsty season with Cobert. Like, I love it. And again, I don't know who he was to change the, the end, but I adore them. Like, thank you. So, yeah, now we can say that they're all right. And now let's talk about, so it's not a love square anymore. Slavinia is dead. A love triangle. Richard, Mary, Matthew. So I already said that Richard was annoying with the whole we need to service ourselves at Christmas, like, oh my god, oh yeah. And when they play the game, Richard, annoying again, says to Violet, Do you enjoy these games in which the player must appear ridiculous? So Richard, life is a game in which the player must appear ridiculous. Not my life. I love this scene where they play the game all together and then Courage is like, oh Richard, it's your turn. The guy's like, oh god, no. Violet says, How soon your maxim will be tested. I love it because Violet with Richard, I love it how she talked with him since she met him, you know. And on New Year's Eve, Mary is fed up with Carlisle again because again he's like, Oh, we need to serve ourselves on New Year's Eve. Oh great, I don't like it. And you know, she's like, Well, it's not the end of the world, no, it doesn't seem that much to me. And I understand a bit his Point of view because like I had to go from down to up you know I did all myself but like she says he makes you sound angry all the time and I think it's funny that he was from the middle class maybe just lower than that but now that he's maybe in the upper middle class or around those people he feels like he doesn't really remember where he came from like sometimes he sounds more snob than the posh people so it makes me disliking him so Mary, she talks with Matthew because Matthew, he actually came to London because Lavinia's father was ill. And on New Year's Eve, he says to her that, well, he died, but at least he was with him when he died. And during the shoot, Matthew, he saves Mary from Richard because, he said, oh, you're going to be with me, right? And Matthew, he says, what? No, didn't you say you're going to be with me? He's like, oh, yes, I did. And where well, he saw that she was not comfortable. And so she tells him, well, thank you for saving me back there before I said something rude. And he says, well, he rather begged to be teased. And then he said, well, the author truth is, is he's starting to get on my nerves. And then Matthew says the most obvious thing is like, but you're still going to marry him. Like he gets on your nerves already, but you're still going to marry him. And she's like, well, of course, and I'm with him. I'm like, but why? May you see how they are together. Uh, they laugh because he's not really good at shooting and they laugh together. And I'm again, I'm going to quote Cora. They look so natural together, talking and laughing. Like, yeah, they're meant to be together. Even Lavinia said so. You know, they look so good together. But Richard, he sees that. They laugh together, so he's not really pleased about it. 
and he's angry with Mary. They argue about Matthew and, well, I understand him when he says, if you made it clear that you preferred me to him, I would not be bothered by the fact that you laugh with him, but you don't. Like, it's plain that you still like him. And I can understand him a bit because he tries when he threatens her with her scandal, but I can understand him just thinking that that we're supposed to get married, but it's clear that you prefer someone else, that you're in love with someone else, actually. So I can understand him on that. I still don't like him. But I understand him a bit. But obviously, they argue. Matthew comes to the rescue. Because Matthew, he he's concerned for Mary. He has always been. And you can see that he doesn't like Richard. And at dinner, this awkward moment between Richard and Mary that Robert talks to Cora about. So Richard is angry and Matthew and Robert see it. And they both look at each other like, yep, guy is going to be in the family. Because whatever happens, Matthew will stay in the family because he's the heir. So <laughs> Richard will never be free of him. He can't get rid of Matthew. So after this weird moment between Mary and Richard, Matthew comes to talk to Mary. Absolutely love this scene. He says to her, You don't have to marry him, you know. You don't have to marry anyone. You'll always have a home here as long as I'm alive. Didn't the war teach you never to make promises? And anyway, you're wrong. I do have to marry him. But why? Not to prove you've broken with me, surely. We know where we stand. We've it, no need for gestures. If I told you the reason, you would despise me and that I really couldn't bear. I love this scene because he literally first says, can I help? Because he realized that this is, this is wrong. Like, it's not just that they argue. They argue and you see that it's wrong. Like, it's almost frightening because he's a bit violent, you know, the way he takes his, her arms and the way they argue, it's, yeah, a bit violent. So he wants to help. And that's the scene when Cora comes to fetch Mary and you see her look like, like I told you before, like she knows that it's wrong and <laughs> no one wants Mary to bury Richard, but, you know, the scandal and stuff. I love this scene because Mary, she's on the verge of tears because she doesn't want to marry Richard. And I think, you know, when she says he gets on my nerves, but I think a tiny part of her is frightened too about him because you can see that he can be violent. And then one of my favorite scenes of the show, Mary and Robert in the library. So it's when they came back from the trial and they talked just a tiny bit about it. And then Robert tells her, can I ask you something? And she says, of course. And he says, do you stay with Carlisle because he's threatened to expose the story of Mr. Pamuk dying in your bed? And you see her face. And then when she's not just sorry about what happened at the trial, she fights to hold her tears because I think a power never wanted to disappoint her father because she always felt a bit like a disappointment because she wasn't a boy. And we already talked about that. But now it feels like she disappointed him, not just because she's not a boy, but just as a human being, like as his daughter, like she disappointed him immensely. And... Oh, I think this is absolutely, absolutely amazing. Like the acting is just, oh, Michelle Dockery is just so fantastic. I love this scene. And then, you know, she said, oh, how did you find out? Your mother told me when I asked why you were still with Carlisle, when you were so tired of him. How very disappointed you must be. Your mama chose her moment well, and you're not the first Crawley to make a mistake. You see his face when he says that you're not the first query to make a mistake. At that moment, he doesn't look at his daughter anymore because obviously he thinks about him and the maid. And he feels like he can't even look at her because he's ashamed of what he did. And then she says, To answer your question, it is partly true 
Though not entirely. In Mama's phrase, I am damaged goods now. Richard is, after all, prepared to marry me in spite of it, to give me a position, to give me a life. And that's worth it, even though he already sets your teeth on edge. Here's what I think. Break with Carlyle. He may publish, but will be a house of scandal anyway with Bates's story. Go to America. Stay with your grandmother until the fuss dies down. You may find the new world is to your taste. He'll keep my secret if I marry him. Once I might have thought that a good thing, but I've been through a war and a murder trial since then, to say nothing of your sister's choice of husband. And I love it because it's a strong thing to say that because they hate scandal. Like family from uh, the aristocracy, they hate scandal. So to say, you know, I let him publish a scandal, but just don't marry him. This is such a love reaction. Like you see that he does that because he loves his daughter very much. He doesn't care about the scandal because all that he wants is for his daughter to be happy. I love when he says, I don't want my daughter to be married to a man who threatens her with ruin. I want a good man for you, a brave man. Find a cowboy in the Middle West and bring him back to shake us up a bit. And then she literally runs into his arms and they hug and he kisses her cheek. Like this scene is just so emotional. And I think this is, I think this is something she's, she always needed her father to say to her because her mother always tried to tell her that I love you, your father loves you, you know, to reassure her that, yes, she's loved. But at that moment, this is like, you know, we had Cora that you have to hide the body. And then we have literally Robert say, I don't care about this scandal. I just don't want you to be with that man because that man is horrible. But I like when he says, you bring a cowboy, like the guy, he can't stand his daughter to be married to the chauffeur, an Irish chauffeur. But he's like, you know what, after an Irish chauffeur, what's a cowboy from the Middle West? Like, I really love it. And this is, oh, he's such a loving father. Like, really, this is such a sweet moment of a father loving his daughter. Like, oh my God, I'm so emotional right now. I'm going to cry. But this scene, absolutely love it. And so um, then Mary, she's with Isabel and Matthew on Lavinia's grave because Matthew told her that Lavinia's father wanted his ashes to be with Lavinia. And she said that she wanted to be there when he's going to do that. So there she is. And then when Isabel with Matthew, she tells him... She's still in love with you, you know. I don't think so. Well, I'm sorry, but it's as plain as the nose on your face. And at first he doesn't really understand Matthew. said, but you didn't like her. But this is not the story. If she's in love with you and you're in love with her, why are you not together? And he says this whole way, no, I deserve to be unhappy. Mary deserves to be unhappy. It's how it's supposed to be. You know, Isabel's like, what? You know, when it's about Lavinia, it's like, listen, Lavinia was a sweet, nice girl. She never would have wanted you to be unhappy. Never. Nobody your age deserves that. And if you are, and you can do something about it and don't, well, the war has taught you nothing. And she's so... Right. Yes, Isabel, because now we had Violet, you know, coming to Matthew's room to tell him Mary is still in love with you. Now we have Isabel saying to her son, Mary is still in love with you. Like, really? If you don't listen to cousin Violet, listen to your own mother, okay? I love her. I love Isabel because usually she, I'm not saying she's on her son's side, but usually, you know, she, yeah, she's on his side. But at that moment, she's like, no, you're wrong. Then one night, Matthew comes to Downton because he wants to speak to Mary. That's the moment when they organize the search party for Isis. And he says to Mary that he wanted to come because he wants her to tell him why she has to marry Carlyle. She doesn't really want to say to him, she's like, please, she tells him. And you see that he tries to understand. 
But I like the fact that she said it plainly. She didn't try to hide what happened or she said what she think happened. It was a moment for excitement or I don't know. But she didn't say, oh, we fell madly in love and then it happened. No, she really said the worst thing. Really at that moment, like she didn't try to make it better just to make him see her in a better light. I don't really how to say it, but... Um, and he tries to understand. He really wants to understand because he doesn't. And I love the fact that even if at that moment he still tries to understand and he doesn't know what he stands with this situation, he's like, you need to leave Carlyle. Because when she talked about it with her father, he even says in what Matthew said, because he thought that Matthew knew about Pamuk. And like when he's shocked, like, oh, so I'm not the last one to know. Woo! I'm happy to know that I'm not the last one to know about this. And she says, no, that the reasons why they're not together, is they have to do with Lavinia and not Pamuk. But anyway, and then Matthew, I just love that he's like, you know what, whatever the scandal, whatever you did, whatever mistake, whatever happened, you can't stay with Carl. This is definitely not a reason to stay with him. Actually, it's a reason to not stay with him because the guy threatens you to ruin you with that. That means he doesn't deserve you. And I'm with Matthew and Robert, like, yay. Even if, you know, I, I was Tim Cora too, like, I felt for her when she tried to protect the reputation but like Robert says no Sybil married to the chauffeur in Ireland and Bates trial <laughs> there's already scandal so you know one more can it really hurt and then he tells her you were wrong about one thing only one and what is that pray I never would I never could despise you oh my god this is oh, so romantic oh my god I'm so emotional I'm... oh god and Mary, she's ready to leave Richard. And at uh, that time when Matthew arrives at downtown with Isabel, she says to him, I wish you would fight for her again. Isabel, I'm with you. And so Mary's in the library and she breaks up with Richard and he is angry. He literally tells her that he is the reason why there's nothing in the paper about Bates. She said, well, I'm, I'm grateful and father would be grateful. Said, oh, because you think I'm going to keep on to that now? And I like when she's like, and you wonder why we, we would make each other happy. Like, have you seen how you work? Like, yeah. And then, well, obviously, Matthew comes in and he's even more angry. Oh, okay. So she can't get rid of me without you. That's the thing. Like, he's angry. And then he talks about Lavinia. And the moment he says Lavinia, Mary, she's shocked. And Matthew, well, he doesn't like it. You know, he says, well, she knows that you never loved her. Well, he doesn't like it. And he punches him. This is so satisfying. Like, oh my God, we've been waiting for that. Like, oh, a long time. Well, I've been waiting for that. Then they fight <laughs> and they break a vase. And Robert comes in. Carlisle, he's very angry. And just Robert said, well, when will you leave tomorrow? And it's like, well, look at you, you know, an example of dignity and real, like, gentleman, lord, anything. And Violet comes in. Oh my God. Again, Violet, in this episode, she killed it. Oh, what on earth's the matter? I'm leaving in the morning, Lady Grantham. I doubt we'll meet again. Do you promise? This is one of her best lines. Just the, do you promise? Like, oh my God. I mean, we were like her. Like, oh, do you promise we never have to see you again? And then Matthew says to her, Sorry about the vase. Oh, don't be, don't be. It was a wedding present from a frightful aunt. I have hated it for half a century. Violet, you know, you have very dramatic scenes and she arrives in. She just steals the scene. So next morning, Richard is leaving and Mary, she wants to say goodbye. 
and she even says i'm sorry about everything and that she said i didn't want it all final words to be angry ones and he tells her that he loved her he said i loved you you know much more than you know and much much more than you ever loved me and i can't believe it it's just i don't like the guy i don't like how it works but i think maybe if matthew wasn't there they could have make it work the issue is matthew was there and she was in love with matthew and we we love matthew we love matthew with mary so obviously we were like <gasps> no so we're quite happy that he's leaving and that we will never have to see him again and then so before the servants ball matthew and robert are together like i said because matthew asked him with who he should dance and they talk about lavinia's father and lavinia and robert he tells him you were ready to marry her matthew you would have kept your word you can't be blamed for feelings beyond your control i think everybody understood that the reason why he doesn't want to be with mary is because he was in love with mary but he wanted to marry lavinia he thinks that you know now she's dead i think everybody got the picture that like, understood the reasons but they're like but you were in love with mary and i like what robert says you can't be blamed for feelings beyond your control like you're in love with her like <laughs> go get married to my daughter now like right now but i like it because i think maybe the fact that robert tells him that because his mother first then robert it what makes him think that maybe yes they're right you know because i think i'm not gonna say that he view robert as a father but as a father figure and he has his mother that he loves dearly so i think these two people plus if you remember what lavinia told him telling him be happy you are in love with mary go with her marry her and be happy with mary and then during the service ball mary and matthew are dancing together and i love it because isabel she looks at them she's like she's pleased and carson looks at him like he's so happy like yes this is how it should be this is really nice and then in the servants hall anna and daisy well they again play well i don't know they tried to speak to the dead again and this time someone had something to say and they say may they be happy with my love i love it because anna thinks it was daisy who was moving it daisy thought it was anna who's moving it so they thought okay this is weird and then we have probably also one of my favorite scenes of the show probably one of the most beautiful scenes of the show i think yeah in terms of scenery emotions i think everything i think this is one of the most beautiful scenes ever mary she's alone outside in the snow and matthew comes to see her and so he asks her so you will really leave now he says yes because uh, well even if carly doesn't say anything about my scandal it's still out there so Maybe it's best if I leave. And then he asks her. Would you stay if I asked you to? Oh, Matthew, you don't mean that. You know yourself we carry more luggage than the porters at King's Cross. And what about the late Mr. Pamuk? Won't he resurrect himself every time we argued? No. You mean you've forgiven me? No, I haven't forgiven you. Well, then. I haven't forgiven you because I don't believe you need my forgiveness. You've lived your life and I've lived mine. And now it's time... We live them together. We've been on the edge of this so many times, Matthew. Please don't take me there again unless you're sure. I am sure. Then will you? You must say it properly. I won't answer unless you kneel down and everything. <sighs> Lady Mary Crawley, will you do me the honor of becoming my wife? Yes. And then they kiss, they hug. It's so beautiful with the snow. And then you have a shot, a large shot of the castle and you see them and it feels like they're in a snow globe. Really now I want to have a snow globe, Heike and, and Tiny Mary Matthew. Like this is so beautiful. I don't have the words to describe it. 
It is, I think, one of the best scenes, maybe the best scene of the show. It is so beautiful and it's such a wonderful way to end the episode, to end the season. Like, really. I mean, this is such a nice way to end a Christmas episode, like that to watch on Christmas Day. Yes! I mean, isn't this the moment we've all been waiting for? That's why I've called this episode this way, actually, because I think that even if Matthew and Mary are not our favorite characters, even if they're not our favorite ship, I think that them being finally together is something that all, almost all the people that have watched Downton wanted because we could feel the chemistry. They looked so good together, like they had to be together. And, oh, I love it. This scene is so, so, so good. I cannot. I love this scene so much and it makes me cry. I cry every time I watch this scene. I cry a lot in this episode actually because I love strong moments. This moment just, it almost feel like whew, I can breathe. Like the episode is finished and not saying that all the angst are behind us, but like, you know, Bates is gonna leave so you can breathe a bit and they're finally together and Robert and Cora are all right again. Like it feels right. And I haven't forgot my music of the day because it is for obviously Matthew and Mary. And it's Taylor Swift, yes, because I had to. So that was Love Story, Taylor's version by Taylor Swift. Come on, I had to. I mean, oh, this was the perfect song for this scene, for this episode, for Mary and Matthew. Like, I had to. So, well, yeah, <laughs> that's how I decided to end this episode on a really happy note. Oh my God, I can't stop smiling. It's just, oh, I love this scene so much. And even if sometimes... Mary gets on my nerves and sometimes actually Matthew gets on my nerves too a bit. I love them together as a couple. I absolutely love them. So I am really happy. And it's just so beautiful. Like the scenery just, I know I say it a lot, but God is so pretty. It's wonderful, magnificent, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but so that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was happy. I mean, it's a happy ending. We like it for almost everybody. We said it, but yeah. Like, sure, if you want to chat with me, you can send me a message anywhere. Then I will see you next Sunday to start season three. I'm really excited and a bit nervous because season three, I mean, season two was something, but I think season three is like something. <laughs> like, I think there's more angst in season three, but condensed 
you know, because since she was angst through the whole season, I feel like season three, angst are condensed into one or two episodes or just one or two scenes or one or two storylines, you know what I mean? Like, and where some episodes I'm quite not ready to talk about them. But yeah. Oh, and next week I am away. And so it might be possible that the episode would be a bit late and we're not come out on Sunday, but probably on Monday or Tuesday. I'm really sorry. I can apologize already for that. But yeah, until we meet again to start season three, stay safe, take care of yourself, stay hydrated because it's very hot out there. And don't forget, vive la différence. Mm-hmm.